Welcome back to Rhymes with Decora, a podcast project of Inspired Media. Find us online at iloveinspired.com. I'm your host, Benji Nichols. It has been a pleasure to kick this podcast project off for Inspired, and we appreciate bringing you stories about communities you love by people you trust. Today's guest I am excited to have here, Chris Johnson, the president and CEO of Vesterheim American uh, Norwegian American Museum here in Decora. Chris, thanks so much for being here. I'm glad to be here. Absolutely. Well, it is amazing. Uh, it is an exciting time in Decora. Here it's fall of 2022 currently. And boy, there are projects galore going on on Water Street uh, left and right. But of course, Vesterheim is at the heart of a lot of that. Yep. Uh, a very exciting time on the campus. Uh, um, and beautiful days still rolling here as we get into fall and hopefully construction season uh, rolls right along, right? I would like that. That'd be great. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're going to back up just a second, Chris. Um, many people would know you from the community and from being at the head of Vesterheim here for several years. Uh, but I'd like to back up just for a second because many people might not know all of your connections to the Decora community. Um, do you want to back up and tell us a little bit about your uh, maybe your introduction or how you found your way to Decora originally? Sure. Well, I'm actually, uh, I grew up not far from Decorah. I grew up in New Hampton, Iowa, so just you know, forty-five minutes down the road. Um, as a kid, we uh, we frequently came over to Decorah. We would camp at the you know the campground at uh, right by Pulpit Rock. Uh-huh. My dad worked at um, uh, Oliver or White Farm Equipment in Charles City, and he worked third shift. And so frequently on a Friday, he would we would load up the camper, have it all ready to go. He would take it over to the campground, set it up, and then that. When he'd get it all set up, he would just sleep through the day oh until, until mom and us came home over there. And then we'd spend the weekend camping there and we'd climb Pulpit Rock multiple times. Oh, that's and, awesome. Yeah. And so, um, and so we loved to camp here. We would fish around here. We would canoe on the upper Iowa River. Um, you know, growing up as a kid, it was a frequent place for us to come to. I can remember as a school kid coming to Vesterheim and oh, yeah. uh, touring. And I remember going into the ship gallery as probably, I don't know, third or fourth grader or something yes. like that. And just seeing the, you know, the trade wind in there. And it just seemed like this huge boat. And then later on when I became an adult and I came back and I thought, <laughs> man, this is crazy that these two guys came across the Atlantic in this little boat. Um, so I had a strong connection to that. I have family that lived over in this area, like in Nordness and places like that. Oh, yeah. Um, and so... Decor was something that was place that was always uh, important to me. Absolutely. Uh, went to college here at Luther, um, was a history major, and then have spent my career working in museums. Actually interned at Vestrheim back in about 1997. That's my, what, yeah, I was doing a little digging, and I thought it was also fascinating. You ended up out, uh, was it in um, uh, Nebraska or North Dakota for a while? Is that right? Yeah, we lived for about 17, well, I uh, lived for a Bit in Nebraska, my wife and I, and I uh, was in grad school there at the University of Nebraska. And then um, we uh, we lived up in North Dakota for about 17 years. I worked for the State Historical Society up there. Wow. And um, my territory, when I first started out, I was the Western Historic Sites Manager. So my territory was the really the western half of North Dakota. So I knew about every Senex oh station and where to get a cup of coffee and that because I would drive all around to all these different historic sites. Um, and then... Um, we're, we worked on a big expansion up there in uh, Bismarck with the North Dakota Heritage Center, and we were just completing that project, and I heard that the current director at the time, Steve Johnson, was retiring, and yeah. I thought, hmm, 
that would maybe be an interesting thing to come back here to this part of the country that I you know knew well and really enjoyed. And so, absolutely, the rest is history, I guess you could say. Yeah, and as you mentioned along the way, uh, so college at Luther, so you had that connection, and of course, kind of growing up here and and, and learning, you know, as you spent time here. Um, late nineteen eighties at Luther is that about the right era? Yeah, I graduated in eighty yeah. seven uh, with a history degree. Uh, my my advisor was Professor Cole. Oh yes, uh, and uh, I used to tell people I minored in Professor Cole because I think I took a lot of classes from him. Um, but uh, that's great. Yeah, enjoyed my time there, and still have you know lifelong friends who uh, you know. Absolutely. From that time period in my life. So, yeah, so really cool lineage of, you know, just those, that long tail, that long history to here to Decora and kind of watching both from the inside and the outside, right? And, yeah. and as, as how and why things change along the way. Uh, I have to ask just out of personal interest, I mean, also an internship at Westerheim when you were, was that in grad school? Is that right? Yeah, I was a, I was a grad student at the University of Nebraska in museum studies and uh, we had an internship component. I thought, you know, it'd be kind of interesting to just come up and, you know, do a little work up here at Vesterheim. And so I talked to the uh, yeah. the director up the, here at the time, who was uh, Daryl Henning. I was going to say and, that would have been under Daryl's yeah. side. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And uh, he actually was uh, over, he was uh, doing a kind of an exchange program at the time, I think in Norway at the uh-huh. time. And so he said, well, you can stay in our cabin. So we stayed there for a period of time. And Oh, wow. Um, so I worked in the membership and development office. My wife actually worked there as well part-time she got to help create some children interactive exhibits oh, for the wow. museum so we both kind of got involved with it I, I love it and of course uh, fun to mention daryl henning of course long history there with vesterheim and just a incredibly deep knowledge when it comes to norwegian american oh, history yeah. and the you know all the relationships back to norway and some of those he, things he he's forgotten more than i'll ever know <laughs> that's for sure that's a, a good description one other fun question just as you were mentioning um so north dakota yeah very rural state uh for the most part what uh you mentioned maybe western north dakota give us give us one of your favorite uh spots in western north dakota if we're out on a road trip in future years what's one we should actually dig up sure well uh, one i'll give you two spots one spot is the north dakota badlands and they are in the extreme western part of the state um there's a spot we call it mile marker 32 you're driving on i-94 across north dakota and there's a spot where there's a bend in the interstate and you have this beautiful view of the the uh, Badlands there. Yeah. It's just varied terrain. Um, there was an Army unit that went through there in the 1860s, and they described the area as hell with the fires put out. Wow. And it's got all these varied colors of um, just the different rocks. That would be one spot I would say that is really worth uh, checking out is uh, the North Dakota Badlands. Another spot that was kind of important to me was uh, Kildare Mountain. Oh, which yeah. It's not real. It's more like a big butte or mesa or something like that. Um, but it was this. It rose up out of the uh, kind of the surrounding landscape. Uh, it was a, a site of conflict in the 1860s between Native Americans and the U.S. Army. But it's also just a beautiful spot as far as just looking over the terrain and yeah. that. So it's got a lot of history that is through there. So those are two spots I would recommend. I always say I have had the fortune of doing quite a bit of traveling across the country and especially driving, traveling through touring and some other things. And, and so sometimes I've had more time or not, but it's always amazing to me because, you know, rural Northeast Iowa is a little bit the same way or any part of Iowa. Uh, unless you dig in a little bit, if you only drive across on the interstate, you're, you're going to miss, right. you're going to miss most of what's there. Uh, and Decorah is certainly an example of that. Even if oh, you, yeah. uh, even if you don't come off the highway, you're going to miss what's here. So yeah. it's, one of those things. Yeah, driving in western North Dakota, there were times where 
you would uh, you'd be driving along in your car, and you know, sometimes on your radio you'll hit the seek button to seek the next station, <laughs> and it would just keep going. There was there was no radio station around close enough. That is rural. Yep, <laughs> absolutely. Well, getting back to all things Vesterheim. So you found your way to Vesterheim in was it uh, twenty fifteen? Is that correct? That's correct. I started yeah. in June of twenty fifteen. That's amazing. So I mean, you're, you're closing in on a decade here. Uh, yeah, that's at, right. At the, at the helm, you know, it's really fun, Chris. As I was looking up a couple things in advance of this interview, one of the things that I saw you uh, either quoted as or mentioned was just saying when you'd interviewed for the job was saying, you know, what you wanted to bring to Vesterheim was really kind of um, a, a continued vision, but a, a bigger vision for Vesterheim as well to really be here and put put uh, put ourselves on the map, you know, continue putting ourselves on the map and be that place for Norwegian American culture really in the country or the world. Um, and I thought that was a really cool point because, you know, a lot of people who live here or even in the region know of Vesterheim, you know, maybe they haven't even been there in several years, you know, right. uh, or maybe they remember, I remember the same thing going through as a kid and walking to the ship gallery and just kind of being in awe, just like, why is there's a boat in here? What is this? And yep. what's the history? Um, and those are really pivotal moments, I think, for people to understand. But Vesterheim really has become and conten- continues to become that place. Um, if I did some some really quick uh, quick things. I mean, what year was Vesterheim? You know, roughly the beginnings of Vesterheim. Uh, the history is quite rich, but uh, can you give yeah. us kind of a nutshell of that? Sort of the nutshell history is uh, its origins actually start up on the campus of Luther College back in the year 1877. Uh, Luther College created a small collection, uh, kind of the beginnings of a museum. And over time, that collection grew uh, on campus. One uh, important event what happened in the 1920s, around 1925, and that is the 100th anniversary of the first uh, organized immigration of Norwegians mm-hmm. to the United States. The Sloop Restauration came over with 53 people, and that was the first kind of major immigrant event that you saw. And so in 1925, there was a commemoration of that, and following that, a, there was many objects that came from Norway to uh, what would become Vesterheim and form the core of its collection. In the 1930s, early 1930s, the collections moved from the Luther campus downtown to the present hotel building. Um, and over the years, more and more objects were added. Uh, I think another key part was in the 1960s when Marion Nelson arrived as the director of Vesterheim and really started to focus that collection more on the Norwegian American story. It become it had a hodgepodge of things before that. Sure. It had a lot large Norwegian American collection, but he helped to focus that. And also some key initiatives started to come out during his tenure. I mean, we a lot of what was built at Vestrheim is based on his work and the work of others. Um, the folk art school started at that time in the 1960s. We started to yeah. do tri- trips to Norway, uh, you know, Nordic Fest kind of came up at that at that time as well. So a lot of things that we identify with not only Vesterheim but Decor as well Absolutely. in that period of the '60s were really important. So yeah, it's an incredible story. I think just because there are you know many cities and places that have those local museums or kind of historical museums and some of those things, and to take that sort of you know, to another level is something that is not easy to do. Uh, it's not, it's not easy to put in place for right. sure. Uh, and I think it's worth pointing out that, I mean, Vesterheim has done that. Um, if I get, I have the facts roughly correct, uh, from my research, you know, 33,000 artifacts at this point or more, correct. 12 buildings, the folk art school, which itself I think we'll do a different show on at some point down oh, the road. Yeah, yeah. The story of that, 
that is just awesome. Um, library archive, you know, all those things. And, and, you know, what has really become one of the most extensive collections or the most extensive collection of Norwegian American artifacts in the world. Uh, and people, you know, from all over the world seek out Westerheim for that information. And I think that's right. what's really the important part for people to realize if they don't, um, that, it, you know, Westerheim is a big deal. <laughs> it's a really incredible collection of things. I think it's an important asset to the community of Decora. I think it's a, you know, we consider ourselves uh, one of the reasons why people come here for tourism. Uh, so I think we have an important economic benefit for the community here as a whole. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we're going to take a real quick break here, Chris. When we come back, uh, we are going to get into a little bit more about Vesterheim's current campaign, The Strong Roots, Bold Future, what is going on on the campus, some really cool things uh, uh, that are going on on Water Street. So my guest today is Mr. Chris Johnson, President, CEO of Vesterheim Norwegian American Museum here in Decora. You can find out everything about Vesterheim online, including some really cool virtual uh, tours of the galleries uh, and all of the things you can find there. Uh, at Vesterheim.org. Check that out. And we're going to be back with Chris here in just a moment. Impact Coffee in downtown Decorah helping bring us our show today. We appreciate everything they do. Check them out. ImpactCoffee.com. We'll be right back. Rise of Decorah is brought to you by Impact Coffee, roasting and serving the world's finest coffees in Decorah since 2015. Visit us on Water Street, open daily for coffee and Nordic waffles, cocktails, beer and wine, every Thursday through Saturday. Download our app for quick and easy ordering and pickup. That is the one and only Sean Brown from Impact Coffee in downtown Decorah. Check them out on Water Street. So many good things happen in there. Love it when I can smell the fresh coffee roasting on Water Street. Keeps me awake here in the office and moving forward. Thank you, Sean Brown, Impact Coffee. My guest today, Chris Johnson from Vesterheim Museum. Chris, thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to be here and talk about Vesterheim. Uh, so many cool things going on at the campus right now, and we're going to dig into those uh, here in the second half of the show. So uh, a couple of things that have been going on at Vesterheim uh, in the last few years, uh, there was kind of a new vision, I would say, right? Or kind of a, a rekindled vision uh, and a campaign that has come to be known as the Strong Roots Bold Future Campaign. Correct. Um, this is several years in the works. Do you want to give us a quick background on that? Well, we uh, when I came on board back in 2015, we looked at um, one of the things we were looking at was to say, we need to make sure we... Uh, remain a strong and viable organization, you know, for generations to come. And part of that is to say, we need to make sure we uh, tend to our supporters who, you know, value Vesterheim for what it has been, but we also need to make sure we can reach out to new people as well, new audiences um, who maybe have an interest in us, but maybe in different ways. And so we really started to think about how we could do that uh, one of the approaches that we looked at was to develop a campus-wide master plan. And our organization looked at um, approach of saying, let's go out and talk to one of the preeminent designers uh, here in the world, Snohetta. And they are an architectural firm who has its roots in Norway. Um, they've done projects uh, throughout the world, uh, including things like the uh, National Opera and Ballet in Oslo itself, if you've ever gone to Norway, you can literally walk up on the roof of the building and look over the harbor. It's a cool experience. They've done projects um, 
here in the United States, like they redesigned Times Square to make it more pedestrian friendly. So they've done landscape projects like that. And so we put together materials to and sent out to them and just said, you know, we think this might be an interesting blend. We have this historical roots of the um, the collections, our history that dates back to the 1870s, the folk art school. You have a contemporary design. This may be a kind of an interesting partnership. And um, they had uh, designers on their staff who actually had Iowa roots as well. Oh, wow. And so... They saw that and they said, hmm, this is maybe is an interesting idea. We developed this long master plan to look at the campus, how to adapt that. So part of that was the physical improvements. And so we looked at how that could be shaped. But then another thing that added to the mix, um, you know, you could look at it as sort of a silver lining, was the pandemic itself. Um, yeah. In mid-March of 2020, we had to close the museum for a period of time. And um that was a tough day, I remember, when we called the staff together and said, we're going to close down. But our board of trustees uh, said, you know, an important asset we have here is our staff. We need to make sure we keep everybody working. We didn't furlough anybody. Uh, we kept everybody working. And we, our staff got really creative in how we could reach out. And I give credit to my staff who said, let's look at how we can develop an, a strong online program during that period of time. And so that program grew and it actually helped us to reach new people. Um, and it helped to shape, uh, what we're doing now. So our folk art school is not only face to face classes, but now we have a strong online component as well. So all of those things went into the mix of thinking about where we wanted to go. Yeah, and I have to say, in the, in the years it took, kind of, kind of in the front end planning of that, and I have I have a little bit of experience just in Decora from some years on planning and zoning and some of those things. But comprehensive planning is not something that's necessarily easy for any organization. I don't think, right. quite tiny or huge. And of course, the bigger you are, the more difficult it is. But it's a really in, in, um, important thing to do, of course, as an organization. But I think uh, from Westerheim, it's really been very interesting and very neat to be able to watch the outcomes of that planning as well, and even looking at your campus uh the, you know so the two major projects in this campaign heritage park kind of from the outside of yep. the campus and then uh the new building the Vesterheim commons we can talk about in a minute but the heritage park really was the first thing that people could physically see and boy the incredible tying together of all the outdoor assets that Vesterheim has the whole campus right you know and looking at that it is really you know if people haven't gone down to Vesterheim and just walked around outside you don't have to pay you don't have to go inside you don't have to do that but just go walk around the block and look it is a fascinating it's one of the best outdoor spaces in Decorah in northeast Iowa uh, it's such a fun space and there's so many neat details merging the old and the new and just tying the whole campus together it's a really beautiful project yeah that and in our, in our thinking about this, as far as our master plan, the, uh, the Heritage Park project was the first project. First of all, it had the, uh, the lowest price tag. Um, <laughs> and, but we also thought about it from the standpoint of it, it was going to have the most visual impact because it was going to be something that people were going to see being built and they were going to see the benefit of that when it was completed. And I know during the process, we had a lot of I would call them sidewalk superintendents who people would drive by really slowly and look at things and, or they would come on site. Even when we had signs that please stay off the construction, people would still wander through. Oops, sorry about yeah, that. No people worries. would still wander through and check out things. Um, you know, the goal of that project was, first of all, we had these wonderful buildings that had been moved in, you know, and credit to, you know, the staff like Daryl Henning who helped to, to do that work. 
Um, we didn't want to really change the the focus of those buildings, but we wanted to improve the accessibility so people could get out there and see them. Uh, we improved things like the outdoor signage so that when the buildings weren't open, you could learn more things. But then we also added some amenities like um, there's an amphitheater space that we put in, and that's actually part of the old riverbed uh, where it is. So it was already sort of functioning as a natural amphitheater, so we just accentuated that. And then we also added a folk art component. We added the timber frame portals that are there on the site and the the uh, timber frame shelter that's down by the mill. So we just improved sort of the amenities for visitors to make it a more welcoming space. And I, I know the first year that it opened in 2021, uh, that first Nordic Fest, yeah. I was standing on the, um, standing kind of at, by the museum and I had people come up to me and they would say, how long have these his, how long have these buildings been back here? And I said, well, <laughs> since about probably 1975. Um, and they had just the pathways and that helped to lead them to them. So it, it provided better exposure there. So and, that and not even to me. I mean, a couple of those buildings are really pivotal in the whole story of oh, the Norwegian yeah. American journey to this region, uh, the Corn House. Some of those things are You're right, extremely at the center of the story. So exactly, and yeah. so that helped to um, you know. Uh, call attention to them. I, one visitor described to me, they said, you know, what you've done here is really just kind of put a picture frame around what was already here. And oh, that, yeah. that was, our, we tried to just, we only had to move one historic building during the process. We didn't want to disturb too much. Um, and everything else uh, basically stayed where it was. We just added plantings and benches. Beautiful, and yeah. beautiful landscaping, yep. really yep. neat features, benches. And the, the timber yep. frame structures you mentioned too are just worth the, the look on their own. The carving work that has gone into those is absolutely yep. beautiful. Yep. Uh, and, and, and just the details are really there. So. I, I thought one thing that was kind of interesting this spring, I think it also kind of talks about the power of this park, is I saw, uh, you know, just on Facebook and that, how many people were posting their kids' prom photos. And uh, yeah. Heritage Park was frequently <laughs> a frequent place place where people were used. I thought, well, okay, well, it, it, and I think that's great because if the community are using it in those kind of things, you know, just informally, they're getting exposure to Vestrime, you know, just indirectly as well. So that it, it made it a more valuable space for the community. Well, and speaking of that, so the second part of the Strong Roots Bold Future campaign is also a, a physical building on the campus, and that is the new Vesterheim Commons, yep. which here, uh, getting towards fall of 2022, if people have been around in downtown Decor or on Water Street this summer, they've seen just the beginnings of it's really starting to take shape right, right now, which has been so much fun to watch. Uh, it's a very unique building, very unique construction. But if you want to tell us a little more just about that in general, right. uh, that's great too. The The Vesterheim Commons project uh, addresses some issues that we had on the campus, um, one of which is um, we have we call it kind of the front door problem. We have multiple front doors to like the store, to the museum, to the folk art school. And so a visitor coming on site or just saying, now, where do I go here when I come on site? We wanted to create a structure that basically announced, like, you've arrived. This is the place where you should start your journey. Um, we also wanted a space that could function uh, for kind of multi-purpose uses and a big enough space where we could have, like, a small banquet or, a, you know, an exhibit opening reception or different things like or a pop-up exhibit. So it has a flexible use space. Um, and then we also wanted to look at a place where we could highlight our collections in more detail in relation to the folk art school. One thing that separates us from other folk art schools is that we have this physical collect, collection to back it up. So if you're yeah. taking a, an acanthus wood carving class, 
you, you not only get a great instructor who teaches the class, but you also get access to collections so you can see examples from the past of how artists have done this. And so it really uh, makes a very complete yeah. picture for somebody who is... And uh, not just thinking. examples, but deep examples. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. yeah. We have a very extensive... Co- like, or we have a spinning wheel collection that we have oodles of spinning wheels yeah. in the collection. So, um, the, uh, but the pandemic also shaped the design of this building in that now it also has a digital production space. And we, we saw the success yeah. of our digital outreach during the pandemic, and we said we need to invest in that as well. Um, so it's going to serve a number of functions in that regard. It's going to be, like I said, sort of the new front door for the campus. Um, and we think it's going to be great. Absolutely. I, I have to bring up one term you brought, you brought up earlier, the sidewalk superintendents. Yeah, uh, yeah. I have a, another friend who works on a statewide level, Shelly Oltman, who uh, works for Iowa State Extension and other things, but she likes to refer to the uh, keyboard cowboys. Okay. Uh, and, and I will say, you know, with the Commons Project, especially on a local level, it's been fun, funny to watch sort of how public interacts, right? Uh, and I think sometimes people don't understand a larger vision when it comes along. But I think what's important as a community is that you believe in an institution uh, and that they're going in the right direction and that you support them. And so that is something that Aaron and I have been really uh, staunch on doing in this project because it is an absolutely incredible project. Uh, I believe it's going to really change a lot of the face of Water Street, honestly. Um, One of the things I love, and I know, so, you know, a lot of the campus is historical. It's older. It has that look to it. Um, This building will not have that look. It is a modern, beautiful building. It incorporates some really cool details, some kind of like modern timber frame almost, you know, but concrete as well and some other looks, glass. It's going to be a really, really stunning building. When I got to travel to Norway finally in 2018, one of the things that struck me the most was that you're traveling around this country that has just an incredible amount of history. The uh, nature itself is beauty. The country itself is very beautiful. But in almost every setting, especially in any of the modern cities and things, what you see is exactly that. You see a building that is hundreds of years old next to a stunningly new, beautifully, you know, architecturally designed building. And so to me, to have that out here on the campus really is just an extension of of what I have seen when I've traveled in Norway a lot of places, which I think is really cool. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I mean... It was not without controversy that we, you know, created this structure <laughs> and there were, you know, comments on social media about what is Vesterheim doing with this. We worked really closely with um, the city of Decorah. Uh, we worked very closely with the Historic Preservation Commission uh, about the approach that we took for this. Um, there was a lot of, you know, back and forth meetings about the approach here. The, the materials that are in this building are the same types of materials that you would find in Water Street and comply with the zoning ordinances and stuff like that but we recognize that the functions that we wanted to do in this building uh weren't going to work with the structure that we had there and we said if we're going to create something uh that's uh, purpose built here let's not try to make it old i guess i would say old timey looking as a a word but let's just say let's look at something that complements that and recognizing that this is a new direction and also recognizing that it, it's a mar- it's it's married to an older building, uh, the Westby Torgerson building, absolutely, uh, and it's a blending of old and new, and that's really I think you know the the continuing challenge that we face at Vestrime is we want to make sure we honor the past with the collections and the structures and things like that we have and the stories we have, but we also want to make sure that we are 
reaching out to new audiences so that we continue to remain vibrant and relevant. Absolutely. You know, one of the other things I loved, I've heard throughout this campaign and through some of the the recent work is really, you know, uh, obviously the Norwegian-American focus is at the heart of Vesterheim. But what Vesterheim really tells is the immigrant story as well, that whole story of people coming to this country from somewhere else and finding their way somewhere. And that is the continuing story of our country, no matter what part of it that you live in. Uh, And so I really love the idea of, you know, not only just telling the Norwegian-American story, but also setting that example of like what it looks like to be an immigrant and to come to this country. Uh, and, you know, I think Vesterheim continues to do a great job of looking forward into what that story is and how do you continue telling that story in a way that's relevant, which is uh, something that's really important for, you know, young people and old people alike to continue uh, uh, learning about, right? Right. And I, and I think our audience, you know, we have people who come to Vesterheim who are very steeped in their Norwegian ancestry, you know, they've maybe been to Norway, they've been to the farmstead where, you know, their ancestors came from. We have people like that, but we also have people who maybe have come to Decor for the first time and they're like, what's Vestram about? And they come and they're just interested in history as well. Uh, that immigration story is an important part of what we need to tell uh, because there are common threads in the Norwegian American story that apply to many, yeah. many different groups here in the United States. And it's actually an area where I think we need to, we can do a better job than what we are doing right now. I mean, that's an area where I see we can improve over time here sure. too. So. Sure. That's a great one. So I, I have a couple fun questions for you too, but I just want to reiterate, you know, like all of this work really the, in the modern work that's been going on under your under your direction here at the current uh, time is really this, the Strong Roots Bold Future campaign, which has come up here more recently. You know, and just the, really the fundamentals of that are, you know, growing the campus, connecting the collection, expanding the reach, all all those digital yep. uh, opportunities that are there and then engaging audiences. And that's, you know, here and far, which is, is really cool. A fun question before we wrap up. So I know I have an answer for this, but we'll see it, see if you have one off the top of your head, if you're able to, uh, do you have a favorite artifact or uh, maybe series of artifacts in the museum that whenever you walk by or go through, it kind of tugs at you. Is there something in your collection that specifically uh, speaks to you? I think the, the objects that, uh, really speak to me in some ways are the wood carved figures. Um, and uh, we have, you know, some on display, but we have also some in our collection storage. And I think about that from the, uh, not only the, the unique styles of the figures there, but also I had my first folk art classes were with Harley Refsall here oh, wow. in Decorah. Yeah, absolutely. And um, it was, it was fun just to do that. And it's something that I've continued to do. So I think I have a, a bond with those because I'm always looking at how did they do this particular thing? And I'll say, Oh, that's really <laughs> challenging to do that because I'm not as good. I'm compared to the people who are like gold medalists and that I've got a long ways to go, but I kind of right. dabble in it. And, uh, when we, I remember taking one of my first folk art class, we had these certificates that we would give out to the students and, <laughs> And they were always signed by the president and CEO and Harley. He handed me my certificate. He goes, this may be the first instance where the person who is getting the certificate is the person who signed the certificate. So, uh, but, I love it. So I, I really enjoyed that because whittling is a little bit, it's kind of a part-time pastime for me as oh, far yeah. as just... Um, it's a great stress relief and Abs- uh, a great that. hobby as yeah, well. Yeah. yeah. That's the thing I've always, you know, you, you look through at some of the projects that are in Vesterheim or Vesterheim or some of the wood carvings, but you know, like how did, you know, that must've taken a long time. And then you realize uh, time is something that many people had back in that day right. and time, the long dark nights yeah. and uh, all those things. Well, and I think that's where the folk art school really shown during the pandemic is, you know, people were cooped up Yeah, and um, 
we had this outlet where people could come together. They could try different things. Um, you know, they could dabble in wood carving or weaving or painting or things like that. Yeah. All from the comfort of their own home and as well. And so we see that as a, a great benefit. Absolutely. I look forward to another show here in the, uh, the nearish future at some point. I think we're going to focus in at some point on the folk art school and talk more about those opportunities and things that are going on. Uh, Chris, I can't thank you enough for taking the time today to be here and to uh, hang out with us, talk a little bit all about the amazing projects that are going on at Vesterheim right now. Uh, of course, Vesterheim is open for tours daily, uh, 9 to 5 here in the warmer months. Uh, that tapers down 10 to 4 in the winter months, but check it all out at vesterheim.com. Org, uh, also virtual collections, neat things you can see there. Thanks so much for being here, Chris. We really appreciate it. It was enjoyable. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. We look forward to talking more in the future. Rhymes with Decora is a project of Inspired Media. You can find out all about us at iloveinspired.com. If you've enjoyed the music you've heard on today's show, it is the work of Mr. Nick Zielinski. He is a drummer, he is a decoran. He is a great guy. You can find him online at Indicative of Drumming on the Instagrams. Uh, and he is amazing. Check it all out. iloveinspired.com. Thanks for being here. We will see you next time on Rhymes with Decora. Rhymes with Decora is a project of Inspired Media. Find us online at iloveinspired.com.